Welcome into the podcast that brings listeners directly to the intersection of sports and entertainment through the lens and incomparable style of Dick Buckus. Direct from the 312, join hosts Pete Hassan, Matt Amendola, and Matt Buckus as they dive into the worlds of football, pop culture, philanthropy, and more. This is Buckus Beyond the Line. AmericanEagle.com has over two decades of experience designing websites that produce results. Their clients come to rely on them for full line of website services, from consulting and strategy to digital marketing, hosting, and support. AmericanEagle.com is the technology partner you need if you're looking for online success. They're also the official website and digital marketing provider for the Budkus Award and the Budkus Foundation websites. And we proudly recommend the team to AmericanEagle.com. Give AmericanEagle.com a call today, 1-877-WEB-NOW-1. Hello and welcome into Buckus Beyond the Line. We are joined today by the man himself, Dick Buckus, and two-time Buckus Award winner and former linebacker in the NFL who played his entire eight-year career with the San Francisco 49ers. Patrick Willis has joined us. We are at the Agua Caliente Casino in Rancho Mirage, California, celebrating the 2022 Buckus Award and the winners. Today we're going to be talking to Mr. Buckus and Patrick about their adversaries on the field, what they are doing these days, and how they moved on from their careers after injuries took their toll. I want to start with you, Dick. Wonderful weekend, a wonderful host here at the casino. We had, of course, N'Kobe Dean, who was here live, but Micah Parsons, the NFL winner, and the high school winner, Sean Murphy, were unable to come but had wonderful video messages. Just your thoughts on the weekend, number one, and the winners this year, and not only their performance on the field, but what's expected of them off the field. Well, we were pretty happy with the results last night, and there were a lot of unfortunate circumstances, beginning with the travel. The weather out east really messed it up for guys to get here. I know Nakobe came in very late because of change of flights and everything else, but it all ended up pretty good, and there were three great guys. Sean, high school winner, he's going to be going to, if not, he's there already, maybe at the University of Alabama. Uh, then the Kobe Dean and uh, his mother and father, brother, they came. Uh, he's a two-time winner, high school and college winner now, and he'll be entering the pros where he may have a chance to be the first guy to win all three trophies, high school, college, and pro. And then Micah, of course, <laughs> they were saying, well, what, what kind of scheduling is that? You know, uh, he's at the Pro Bowl. You know, I'm like, well, we didn't know that at the time anyway. And we catch as catch can here. Uh, Agua had, uh, what was it, Johnny Mathis here. And we had to screw up his rehearsal and whatever. So Agua was just doing a great job for us. And, you know, it was just a question of getting this done. We've been trying to get some sponsorship, and we finally hit with Agua here. And they're very nice people. And hopefully we'll be here again next year. And I don't know how much more we'll change the date because – you know, the awards come out, most of the awards come out around December, actually around my birthday, December 9th, because half the time I was gone for my birthday because we used to go, or I used to go, and surprise the winners at their particular school. So Matt's taken that over. But then the pro, of course, the pro season is longer, and we don't have the winners. So that's why we had it kind of late this year because we were waiting for the pro winner to come become known. And 
it's kind of after the fact. But I think uh, with the show that we did last night, it, you know, everybody knew who won it, the college and high school, but it was kind of neat to zoom them in because of the travel uh, restrictions. And so overall, it was a, a success. The main thing of it is, is you know, these guys, uh, of course, are all great players and Otherwise, they wouldn't have won the award. And just like I'm speaking about Patrick sitting here, he's the same category. He was an excellent player, and he's a two-time winner. But what I was interested in when we took this over, this award, I had an inscription put on it that I requested that the athlete honored here shall not flinch from uh, the American tradition of giving back. And that's been the main emphasis of that award, I think. You know, everybody knows, okay, they're great players, but what kind of person, what kind of character, what kind of heart do they have? And it just seems like we hit the nail on the head every time. I mean, even as far as Nakobe, who we found out that he he got some money from a gift or something, and then he turned yeah, around and bought I owe money and gave it to his school. Oh yeah, well he gave it to his uh, gave the uniforms yeah. uniforms. Oh, oh. So that's the message I wanted to get across, and uh, I'll be darned, everybody is like that. And same thing here with Patrick; he does a lot of work that you know maybe people don't know about, but you know that's part of the deal. You don't have to be slapped on the back for doing something. It's just a natural thing that, you know, to care about people. And they're in a position, like I said, that, okay, you're award winners now. Everybody knows who you are. They're going to be following you. And kids will be trying to emulate you. So show them the right way. That's your responsibility and give back because you're in a position now to have people listen to you and, and you could help people. So that's the main gist of the whole thing. Dick, you know, you mentioned Patrick here, and we mentioned off the top of the show, a two-time winner in college and a pro. You spent eight years with the San Francisco 49ers, all those years with the Niners, and um, highly regarded. We were talking to some guys last night here from the alumni and previous winners who said they probably have not seen a linebacker over the last 10 to 15 years as talented and as skilled as Patrick Willis. And I know um, you don't take this award lightly, obviously with your presence here this weekend, how much it means to you. But maybe just tell us a little bit about winning the award, what that meant to you, and what you're doing nowadays. Yeah, to win the, the Buckus Award was a big deal, especially coming from Planet Ole Miss and my first, I only had one winning season at Ole Miss, but that didn't stop me from continuing to go out and try to make the most of each game, each practice. And so at the end of the year, to have my name called to be the most outstanding linebacker in all of football was an amazing honor. And then on top of that, you know, I can honestly say I didn't know a whole lot. Um, I, I didn't know... I heard the name but didn't know the person when it comes to Mr. Buckus. And to finally get a chance to, I met him then at the award show in Orlando, my first time winning it, 2006. And then got an opportunity to meet him again in 2009. And still, you know, you just really focus in the game and, you know, you're grateful and you're honored. But at the same time, you know, you got to keep on pressing forward. But now, being able to say, come here this weekend for the banquet, the dinner, the function, and to be able to sit and just talk to him, listen to him, it makes me winning that award once that much more special and to win it twice even more grateful. And truly, um, I would like to say Mr. Buck is like, he's it's inspiration to 
see him, um, I don't want to say his age is still young, but to see him still just, you know, functioning and, and moving well and um, just speaking well and, you know, it gives me hope as a former player because, you know, to play the linebacker position, it's, it's a physical game. Uh, it takes a toll on our body and, um, you know, being an athlete, you know, as you get older up in life, you know, it shows. So to just see be here this weekend has been phenomenal. It was an amazing event. and. To top it all off, what I gained from last night, even more so being here this weekend, was it goes so much bigger than the game of football on the field, though that's where we are, you know, seen at and recognized. As Mr. Bucks was saying, it goes beyond. It's about being able to, it's about giving back, you know, being in that position. You know, a lot of people look up to us. And for me, that's always been my thing. Coming from Tennessee, very rural area, played at a 1A school. Didn't have a whole lot growing up, but we feel like we have what we need when I look back now. You know, as a kid, you always think you got to have more, but I feel like we have what we need. But most importantly, it was a grind to get out of there, to make it. You know, not a lot of people give you a chance. And now I was able to, where I was going with it, I was able to, I just recently had started my youth fund foundation. So it's called the Winker's Mind Youth Fund Foundation. And my first little function was giving back to foster care because I was a foster mm-hmm. kid myself. And so... We've done a little function for them a couple of years ago, right around the COVID time. And then just here recently in 2021, just here in December, around December 4th, was able to put in my first fit zone. So it's called Peewee Fit Zone for my hometown of Brewston. And it was really special. So again, this award, it's an honor. So it's amazing. But again, it shows what you do on the field, but it's even more so great that it recognizes for what you do off the field. You know, that's the bigger cause than just, you know, being on the field. So, yeah, honored. <laughs> so you touched, you know, how physical the game is. Your career ended in 15. It was a toe injury, right? Mm-hmm. And that had to be a hard decision to walk away from the game almost at your prime, right? But I would have to ask, having the religious belief that you do, having knowing the support system that you have now in your life, how has the transition away from the game been for you over these last you know five six years yeah so 2015 march 10th 2015 was the day that i retired from the national football league and i like to say that i retired from a job and not from life as a kid i had always heard like most kids you know you want to play professional ball and then you start getting into middle school and high school then they started telling you all the statistics of why you can't make it or less than this and and for me i just told myself that i was going to do whatever it took to get there and was fortunate for all the abilities that he blessed me with. And I remember telling myself as a rookie, I said, you know, when I no longer have the passion to play the game and give it everything I have, give my teammates everything I have, then I would step away and allow the next man in line to have his shine. And when that time came in 2015, it wasn't that it was easy, you know, even though I I felt it and it was one of those things that, you know, I can't really explain, but after having as many injuries as I had throughout my career, it just takes a toll on you mentally and physically. And I was just getting to the point where I was more focused on just trying to be, just trying to make it through practice. And really when we play, you know, get on turf or something, you know, I would really kind of dread that. And so I was just like, man, this this can't really be life. I'm like, Lord, like, like why am I feeling like this if it's supposed to be, you know, where I'm supposed to be at? And so when the time came, you know, I made the decision on that day. And since then, I would be being honest, you know, it's been a transition. It really has. You know, you heard people talk about it when you're playing, when you're on the other side, but you're still young. You really don't, you know, it doesn't really hit you as, you know, as tough and 
But when you start getting to it closer to your end, you start feeling, you start thinking a little bit more. Things start. It just, I don't know. You start. I, I really can't put it in the words. You start understanding more. You start hearing clarity. all the voice. There you go. Yeah. You start getting more clear. You start hearing all those voices. You're like, oh, this is what they was talking about. This is what this means. So I say all that to say, I mean, it's been a transition. Actually, I just finished. This will be my seventh year and retired now. And it's been some ebbs and flows, you know, as life is. But, you know, being an athlete, you know, coming from where I come from, the one thing I've always known is just, you know, just keep the faith, believe in what it is that you're working for, and things will it'll work out. I believe it goes in something like, you know, it says, you know, in, in the Bible that all things works out to the favor of those who believe in, in God. And so just try to keep that in mind. It's not about being perfect, but it's been a, it's been a transition. You know, just keep it going, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a very true statement where everything happens for a reason, right, Patrick? And I think, Dick, for you, I kind of see some similarities here, right? Like you had an unbelievable career like Patrick. You know, maybe some say, was there anything left after nine years? Could he have given more? But, you know, an injury. But the amazing thing is the transition after the game. And part of this podcast is about that, right? It's not just all the ability on the field. And we'll talk to guys throughout this podcast about their gifts on the field. But it's the transition off and not only, you know, the charitable end, which is very important, but then finding what else is you're passionate about, what else is inside you that you really feel like you can contribute almost to the level you did on the field, right? And and it kind of fulfills you. And Dick, you were a trailblazer when it comes to this and finding, you know, what it is that is your calling or where you fit after leaving a game that's you've known like all your life. You know, my injury, I had to play through it for like two and a half, three years. I never practiced. And it was really starting to take a toll mentally because you knew, or I knew that I could play a lot better than I was, but I was unable to play my best because of my knee. And, you know, I really was getting, you know, guys were really, back then, if they knew you were, bothered they would go after you and I had to do all that get through that and you know who's to say if they were right or wrong in doing that I probably would have done done the same thing but you know all my life was wrapped up in football the day comes that I I have to quit I really thought that I was going to go right into coaching and everything else but the Bears management they really froze me out for two years I was so disgruntled everything else I even moved out of Chicago and went to Florida because I couldn't believe this what the heck was going on with me uh, from that team and what I'd done for them but you know I get a phone call from Alice and he says if you don't play you don't get paid and I'm like what and he said uh, get a you know what lawyer and that was how it ended with him so I did get a lawyer but it took two years so the question is what do you say or what do you do that you love second best. You know, I never thought about that. I, I always thought it was gonna be football. From being a player, go, maybe to go into the coaching. And that was taken away because the word got around that, hey, he's a, you know, he's a jerk, he's, a, he's suing, you know, and this and that. So I got leprosy there for a while from other interest in coaching and everything else. I probably could have went to George Allen, but I just, you know what? I thought, well, okay, what's second best? Something to do with football and all sports. So when I was in Florida, I had done a quarterback club for this little town called Deland. And next door, a little town called uh, Lake Helen is where the Nautilus, Arthur Jones had his manufacturing company for building Nautilus machines. And at that time, 
strength training was making gains. So I thought, well, this would be cool. To, this way I'll be able to work with all sports. So I started working for him, and uh, it was funny because I was working out. And he said, you know what? He says, if I would have gotten you when you were coming out of college, he said, I, I would think they would have to disbar you from playing. You would have been, you know, you would have been maybe 30, 40 pounds bigger and muscular, and your speed probably would have been increased also. And I thought I was doing everything I could to do that. So, you know, I ended up working for him for a while, and then along comes an opportunity to do a beer commercial for Miller Lite. So, yeah, okay. And that kind of caught people. They really found out about my other side. You know, I wasn't a disgruntled animal off the field and all that. So then after one or two of those individuals, they hooked me up with Bubba Smith, and we started doing uh, a series of commercials. And then the next thing you know, we start getting offers to go to California and, and start doing TV shows. And my wife said, listen, you know, going back and forth to Florida from uh, Los Angeles, she says, if you're going to do this, put the kids in school and let's go. And I said, all right, we'll give it, a, you know, six months or whatever. <laughs> and like something ridiculous, guys have been working for 10 years and I can't get arrested. So that was my, not necessarily my second love of life, but it was doable, and I, I had fun doing it, and I've got a pretty good resume. You know, I've done over 300 commercials and TV shows. I've worked for 20 years in the business. You know, I stole it, you know, <laughs> and it's amazing because when I was talking to some guys, actors, they're saying, you know, you get on a, a series, you're not only getting paid for that week, that episode for that year, but you get these things called residuals. And I've been getting residuals so long because it's based on it's 100% of what you made maybe the first year, then it trickles down, like 80, 60, 50. I get some residuals for like seven cents. <laughs> and I go to the bank. <laughs> and, they, and they still You know, in Malibu, they just, that's, uh, she says, sometimes we get one for, uh, for a penny, mm. the residual check, because it's been so long. So I was able to, I got a pension there, and so everything worked out. We moved out there and been out there ever since. So one thing leads to another. It's just funny how it is. And I have my regrets, but all in all, it probably worked out best that I did get out of football. I'm sure you've gotten 20,000 football questions and injury questions, but sometimes on this podcast we, uh, we get a little personal, and it's kind of as personal as you want to get. We like to ask, what do you like to do as your hobbies or something, you know, the public could know, whether you, maybe you like to cook or you like to watch movies or what's your favorite movie or because uh, when we interviewed N'Kobe, he likes catfish and spaghetti, <laughs> which, you, you know, you never were like, okay. So I wanted last night, I was going to try to get the kitchen to bring that out to him, especially, but, you know, maybe share something you you know if you like to fish or hunt or what do you like to do that probably no one knows so for me some of the things that I like growing up in Tennessee like I really all there was to do in my town was hunt fish and play sports and that's pretty much all I did growing up and so now you know I haven't fished as much as I thought I would once I retired I thought before I retired when I was playing I was like man when I retire I'm gonna get me a boat and I'm gonna fish every day. Well, that happened a little bit. And after a while, you realize like life, you know, 
keeps on going and, and now the, you know the response like just a, it was a heavy load I and mean, so I didn't fish as much but I really love to fish my favorite foods would be man I probably would, man he got me I love catfish too <laughs> I love catfish as well as I've retired from the game and where my diet is now opposed to where it was when I was playing now some of the foods and stuff that I really enjoyed, you know, younger and playing, I don't really eat them as much now. I mean, so yeah, that's a few things. Like I love to fish, try to play a little little golf, and I love, really enjoy technology. So that was one thing that I found to be really interesting that at all the places in the world, since I was a kid, I was really fascinated with how the time Nintendo and Atari was first for me. Atari came out, and then the Nintendo came out uh, a little while after that, and I was like, I remember asking my dad, like, hey, how's this controller? You know, he looked at me and said, well, I don't know, like, just play the game. And I'm like, but how's this doing this? You know, and so I always had a fascination um, with how things, like, worked with electricity and whatnot, and so then I get drafted to San Francisco, and a lot of people think we're in San Francisco, but we're in San Jose, and obviously, you know, the Bay Area is, is tech, you yeah, know, so tech country, yeah, 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 and so... Uh, yeah, so I just find myself still continuing to learn about technology and being intrigued and, you know, being out there, you know, it's really easy. So, yeah, so I'm I'm a person, man. I try to try to learn a little bit of everything. Patrick, you know, I've watched you play for years. I know that, you know, as a tackler, I know that you're one of the best tacklers I've seen in the game as far as to get a person down. Who's another guy you've played with that you consider a great tackler? Who's the best safe, like, tackling safety you've ever worked with? Well, yeah, there's this one guy named Matt Amadola. <laughs> um, you know, to to talk, talking about tackling, um, I grew up playing just backyard football, meaning that nobody had to make us play. If there was a ball around of some sort, we were going to get active and we are going to play sun up to sundown. And so we were always out there being physical to the point that my grandma would say, y'all stop that or I'm not going to let y'all play. And as soon as she'd go in the house, we'd right back at it again. And, and I say that to say um, when I was in college, on Sundays, so we play on a Saturday, and on Sunday we have study hall. After my freshman year, I didn't have to go to study hall anymore. What I found myself doing, I was always watching NFL classics because I always felt like if I wanted to get there, then have to you know see what was laid before me so I can kind of get some kind of sense of it and what needs to be done. And so now I bring it to watching Mr. Buckus here last night. His highlights, man, I really I got fired up for a moment. I was like, see. This is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of football that I really enjoyed watching as a kid, even playing until about 2009 when they started to change the rules where the receiver couldn't come across, come underneath and you couldn't hit them in a defenseless and all that. And I was like, well, so wait a minute, man, what's going on? And so seeing uh, Mr. Buckets here last night, seeing his highlights and seeing how physical they were on the point of contact, when people saw me play the game, that was where I was coming from. One, just attitude, heart, but I also saw them guys play before me, and I used to be like, man, when I get a chance one day, I want to hit like that. And watching it last night, I just brought back those memories. So it was 2011, so my first four years in the league, you know, we was barely, you know, losing or right at 500. I think we only had one season at 500. But 2011, 12, and 13, 
was some of the funnest football. I had a chance to see what it felt like to win. Like you weren't just putting in all this work yeah. and at the end of the season you're going home and you're like, man, again. So <laughs> we, yeah, it w- 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 was <laughs> Yeah, so with sense when you said when I when I heard it, when I heard that Mr. Buckets here only had two uh, was I believe it was two winning seasons in his year, I was like, Oh, well, I didn't I was like, man, so he felt he knew what it felt like too, like to be going out there and in the year you go to the house and what I learned was that what was big difference was in those first four years, guys were amazing. Like, I mean, they wouldn't be in the NFL if they didn't have the talent and couldn't hit and couldn't do what they do. But man, it was something special about that 2011 uh, team or that that team when that we was able to go to the NFC Championship um, 2011, then the Super Bowl the next year, and then the NFC Championship again. Well, that first two, man, we had two safeties, and I love watching Steve Eggwaters and again watching the older guys with. For me, uh, Dawkins and them guys, and I used to be like, man, man, if I man playing with them kind of guys, I'm like, ain't no way in hell, man. You, you get back there and Deshaun Gosen and Dante Whitney. Man, when I try to tell you, <laughs> when I try to tell you, man, I used to smile inside knowing that, like, man, if, if on this front line you have Justin Smith, Ray McDonald, some other guys, Ahmad Brooks, Paris Harrison, R.P. Paris Harrison, um, on that front, and then all of a sudden, you, then in the linebacker right here, you have in the two, you have Navarro and myself, and so I'm, you know, front seven. I'm like anything up here. I'm like, man, bring it. But then it felt even better. It felt even better to know that, like, in the back end, so it wasn't nowhere on that you could, you know, get away. And that was that was one of the most amazing feelings was to play with guys, have a unit of guys that was just dominant like that. I mean, I saw it in the Ravens. I saw it in the '85 um, Bears. Um, saw it in you know, the steel curtain in town, you know, just watching all the classics and whatnot. And and so to have that kind of defense, again, not comparing them to which was better, but to have that kind of feel where you just knew when you took the field, like, it's going to be a hell of a day for y'all. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I would say Deshaun Gosen and um, Dante Woodner was, man, them some thumpers, man, so. How about a guy that may be on a certain team that gave you problems? Like, you know, it could be the, you know, you could be playing the worst team, but this guy, I remember when growing up in basketball and baseball or whatever, he, one guy who had, you know, just, yeah, yeah. so I was just wondering that who might be that person. Yeah, <laughs> um, man, speaking of just tough opponents to go against, you know, when it comes to offensive linemen, I would Probably to say as a scheme, I was I'm not a big fan of zone cut schemes, and so I really didn't like Seattle's team. And and Richie Incognito was one of those people that I really wasn't a big fan. He was like super. I, I always I thought he was kind of dirty, and, and I'm not speaking as a person, <laughs> right. but as a player, man, the stuff he would do, come out and shoot at your kneecap and try to roll up on you, like he was one of those guys. And then in the running back position, I would say Marshawn Lynch was one that was really, really tough to tackle. We know each week. So what will happen is when we play against Seattle, if we play against any other team that's, you know, I got to cover a whole lot, I would, you know, get a little bit lighter. But every time we play against Seattle, I knew I had to be heavy because they finna come with that run game and Beast Mode was coming, coming with it. And so I would say him in the, in the running back game and then tight ends, Man, it'd be Jimmy Graham was a tough one. I mean, obviously having, you know, Drew Brees throwing to him that, you know, his accuracy was always on point, but Jimmy Graham was a tough one and but my toughest, toughest, toughest one, I would say Aaron Hernandez from the uh, the Patriots. Yeah. He was one of those ones I'll never forget how I remember looking at my safety and I was trying to think to myself, I'm like, Man, this is one time coach where I don't understand 
you paying all them safety this money or whatnot. Why, why am I have to cover this person? Well, because I obviously playing against Brady or whatnot. Like you know, he got to keep the guys on the back end. So he was a uh, Aaron Hernandez probably was a tough one. And then Tony Gonzalez in the championship game one year was pretty. He was just on me. I mean, I, I wasn't able to come out of my breaks and nothing. I'm like, this old man is like, you know, he's giving me the works, man. So, but um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was again, um, it's the NFL play against some amazing athletes, but there's some you just know every time you line up, it's going to go down. Who so, was the toughest quarterback you played against or that you admired? The toughest quarterback that I played against would be, man, Aaron Rodgers was a, you know, he was always a great competition, but Drew Brees was a, Another one, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. Oh, man, up in Seattle, uh, Russell Wilson. I wouldn't, man, he was one. Of, you can't, you know, bigger guys, you can get to him, you bring him down, but he was one of those ones that was kind of shorter and just, you know, elusive and can get the ball uh, down the field. And then I would say um, shout out to Tom Brady. Uh, I know he just uh, announced his retirement uh, this year, 2022. But I had a opportunity to play against him a couple of times. One year was the year he's hurt that Matt Castle took over and they still went 14-2 and two or something like that. I was like, is it Brady or is it, you know, is it the system? But then, you know, obviously, you know, you look at Tom, whatnot, you know, that was just, that was 2008 then and look at where we are now and then to see him, you know. So, yeah, so shout out to him. But I would say uh, when we played them in, we went there, we played them in 2012 season. I never forget the whole first half. We had shut him down. He wasn't doing nothing. I said to myself, I was like, started feeling myself. I was like, no, I said, it's his defense. I'm telling you, we, we coming with it. I said, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah. And then <laughs> we came back out the second half. And I, I still to this day, I, I, every now and then I tell somebody, I'll be like, you know what? I think I know why he is like who he is, cause man, that second half, it was one of them things. I don't know if you ever had it, Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Buckus, uh, where you on defense and you know usually you can look at the guy. He's like, come on, man, like you know you like, like you just look, you look at each other. You kind of have that look, look in your eyes. You look at each other. You be like, all right, y'all, we we gonna we gotta stop him. I never forget this second half, man. He started throwing the ball, and it was almost like. It wasn't nothing. You could, it wasn't nothing. We could. It wasn't nothing you could do. We were calling. We were calling. Yeah, we were calling everything. I was like, "Hey, man, get your hands on. You know, let's reroute. Don't give him nothing." But it was almost like no matter what we did or what coach called, he would just find it. And I never forget, man. That whole, that second half, he threw for so many yards, and I remember saying to myself, "I was like, holy crap!" Like, I said, "Man, this guy here is so special to the point to where I couldn't even." I, I didn't know what to say. I couldn't even say nothing to myself other than like, <laughs> we, we gotta get off. Like, Mr. Bucket, I was like, we, I said, I mean, I was like, Matt, and I was like, man, we gotta get off this field and somehow get over here and re and regroup and recalibrate and like, let's look at these cards and, but man, like, we, we not a bad team. I know we know what we're supposed to do. Like, what's going on? And so, yeah, I mean, that he was, um, so yeah, it was, it was eight years, but it felt like an eternity. Uh, out there playing or whatnot. And so, yeah, man, so it was some great times. I got a list of guys that, you know, I didn't really like playing against or whatever. Forrest Gregg being one when he was a tackle with the Packers. The other tackle, Ernie McMillan, big guy. And, you know, from a 4-3, when there's a, like a sweep or whatever, the tackle's coming down on the middle guy. And a lot of guys would throw at you. And, you know, you could jump them or get around them. And then that you were clear clean to make the play but that damn Ernie McMillan he come out and they'd like I guess like nowadays he'd pass block you bigger than hell you know and I'm you know I don't want to be tied up with him I, I you know I want to 
eliminate the blocker as soon as I can so I can meet the ball carrier at the junction, you know. So guards would be Howard Mudd, who played for the 49ers, and Fuzzy Thurston from the Packers. The center would be a guy named Bob Namarco. He was sort of like that cognito guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and they just, yeah, they had a good offensive line at that time, St. Louis did. Quarterback would be, you know, Unitas and Bart Starr. And then running backs, I would put Gail Sayers, even though I played with him as one of the best, and, uh, and of course, Jim Brown. I was playing uh, for the college all-star games when they used to have the all-star game in Chicago, and they'd play the previous year championship uh, winners from the NFL. So it was Cleveland my year that I was on the all-stars. So we had a blitz called, and so I blitzed, you know, and some way or another I got my arm caught between his, and he started clamped down and started rolling this way, and I'm like, get the, you know, and I pulled back like, what the hell, you going to break my arm backward. And I says, you know, all this crap about he's he doesn't, yeah, he says he doesn't do anything. Subtle as hell, I could have broke my arm. I said, that damn guy. And uh, so, yeah, he was he was something else. I have a question for you, Mr. Buckus, and this is one of those ones that not a lot of people, especially athletes, do we ever really talk about getting got, where you be like, shit, excuse my language, but you like, crap. Like, yeah, I got half. Man. Like, yeah. And I, I have a couple of those. My whole thing was like, it was always to make sure that I have way more, that when you turn on, you, really, you, you won't really think about those few that yeah. happened. I had one game where, I think it was uh, we was playing the Redskins and the fullback had caught the ball in the flats and I was the type of person when I was younger the first couple of years few years like it didn't matter where you were if you was anywhere still in that field I was gonna try my best to you know to delete you off the field well he started getting on up in the this is now six five six years seven years and I was like I mean he was right there at the sideline I'm like he's gonna step out of bounds I'm not gonna just go and be all extra and and that's the extra hit I don't have to put on his body at this point I'm like that's how I was feeling that's you know that's where it was and, and that wasn't really I might say it was always like to demolish but do you have any particular play that you got got by a particular player or just a play that you remember where you your head hit first I mean I, I to me when I watch you on film I always see you going downhill and pretty much Decleting or deleting anybody in front of you, but did you ever have any of those, any moment like that where you were like, damn, I'm in bed? Yeah, I, I got knocked out in my rookie year. Like we were, knocked out? Yeah, yeah, I was goner, you know, hit the deck. It actually was like one of the first exhibition games my rookie year, and I was supposed to play, I think it was the first and the third quarter, I think it was the second and the fourth quarter. So this happened early in the second quarter. I, I, got a knee. I was blitzing in some way or another. I was stumbling or whatever, and the guy, I got hit in the head. But, so I remember on the sideline, on the bench, and George Allen comes up to me and he said, the defensive coach, he says, you know, are you ready to go? And I said, yeah, when are we going to start, man? And, <laughs> so, and it, was a, it was the fourth quarter. <laughs> and, uh, and then the other time was... You know, back then, tight ends and everything, they'd try to blindside you. Like, there was a guy that played for uh, the 49ers my rookie year was uh, Monty Stickles. He was from Notre Dame, just the dirtiest tight end. Well, the Giants had a guy, Bob Tucker. He was a good tight end. And 
you know what they would do you know you'd be fighting somebody off and then they would come and and go right for your knee and he did that to me I mean it just I just felt that thing crack and I laid there for a second and I'm like oh man this could be it you know and I got up and it was kind of numb and you never want to stay on the field like today. I, I can't for the life of me understand. A guy goes down, time out, time out. Everybody rushes over there. He's got his head buried in the astroturf. And to me, when everybody comes around him, I'm thinking he's saying, is the camera on me? Can I get up now? And then he'll roll over and then they'll work on him. And then he'll get up and walk, run off the field. Now, I don't know if that's a rule because of injuries or what that if you get a a tweak your ankle you stay there get the time out have the medical people come and then you run off the field in our era that would be like admitting that hey you got the best of me it ain't gonna happen man i'm gonna run off the field dragging my leg or whatever but i'm not gonna show that i've been had and uh i remember that time when i got up uh whoa (laughs) <laughs> a little wobbly. That was, I could have been the start, but I've uh, I always had knee problems with the same knee since high school. Yeah, yeah it's just, uh, and I used to kick field goals, punts in high school and everything else. And, you know, when you go to the Pro Bowl, and I'm sitting there with Bob Lilly from the Cowboys, defensive tackle, and he's like, like shaking your knee, you know, remember how they used to check your ligament, you know, they'd shake your knee, like, yeah. you know, and he's like, hey, look at this, look at how much I can do mine. I said, shit, I could put a dime on mine when I move it sideways. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Buck, because you just spoke about kicking, so you kicked, you, you kicked field goals as well? Because I, I, I kicked yeah. off in high school, and I think I might kick a field goal here or there, but I had a square, I had to kick with a back then, I had to kick with a square square peg. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's yeah, what I did. I didn't, yeah, yeah, I, I kicked with that. So it's funny, I, so you yeah. kicked the ball, you kicked the ball. Yeah, I punted. One time I hit a 70-some yarder, hit, hit it, and it rolled, of course, like 50 <laughs> yards. Uh, and I, you know, then I uh, kick field goals, kick off. I love kicking off because I was always the first one down there. And then, you know, you run in full speed to hit the guy. And so I broke someone's leg. A runner from Dunbar, they said, you know, you broke the goddamn, you broke his leg, man. You know, <laughs> he was laying there and uh, screaming and everything. But I, you know, it was a chance. An extra. See, I always loved the special teams because it was an extra time I could stay on the field. I didn't have to go off the field. And with the Bears, I, I was on every team for almost – Every year except kickoff team after my rookie year. And what I used to do on a punt return team, I would be over like over by behind my tackle or whatever near the end. And so when they snap, because I, I was a snapper, and when I, you snap, you know, you, your head's down and you're vulnerable. And then you, you know, look up, oh, no one's there. And you start taking off, and then I'd come from the side and bam. <laughs> So then, uh, and I love that doing that against Flanagan, this uh, guy from Detroit. You know, we were losing. They were driving there about on our ten yard line or whatever. It was fourth quarter, couple seconds left to go, and I call a timeout. So Ed O'Bradovich and Doug Buffon, what the, what are you doing? Come on, let's get the hell out of here. They, you know, losing and everything, and they were just, you know, running out the clock. And I just said, you know, he says, what are you doing that for? I said, I want one more shot at that damn Flanagan. But knowing all that stuff, I, I'd always have, you know, 
eyes on the back of my head, man, because I figured if it was me, I, you know, you, you want to intimidate the people and, and uh, not be intimidated on your side. And sometimes you, you get hit and you got to just, you know, <laughs> take it and run off the field. Yeah, be the hammer and, and not the nail. So. <laughs> Thank you, Dick and Patrick, for your time today. This was a great interview and a great weekend here in Rancho Mirage, California. Also, a thank you, a big thank you to co-host Matt Buckus and Matt Amendola. And, of course, always a thank you to our sponsors, AmericanEagle.com. Follow us on our social channels listed in the show description and the BuckusAward.com for updates on this podcast. If you're interested in purchasing number 51 merchandise, please go to DickBuckus.com. And be sure to subscribe to Buckus Beyond the Line podcast on your favorite podcast platform. I am Pete Hassan, and we will catch you in the next episode.